Bullshit. It's the No BS Marketing Show. I'm Dave Mastovich, CEO and founder of Mass Solutions, the world's only no bullshit marketing firm. Today, we have a guest host, Maria Marhefka, a content specialist who does a lot of work with the No BS Marketing platform here at Mass Solutions. Happy to be back, Dave. So this uh, kind of Q&A session that we're going to have now is because National Entrepreneur's Day is November 19th. And you being an entrepreneur, this is a great time sure. to kind of tap into, you know, your experiences of, you know, starting Mass Solutions and kind of just hearing your vantage point of maybe the things that people don't necessarily consider when they are thinking about starting their own company. So the first thing is, is like the origin story. So when did you realize that, A, you wanted to start your own business, and then when was that moment where you're like, I'm ready to take the leap now? I've always loved business, and my brother and I actually had businesses growing up. We, My dad was an HVAC guy and had an ice machine that he took for free from a company, and he fixed it and told us we could sell ice. So my brother and I did that, and I was like the sales and marketer and the uh, kind of like the grassroots person. I remember I went over to a supermarket, and they had their ice, and it was like, let's say it was a dollar twenty-nine, and I remember I would go over there and take a cooler and sit on the cooler, and when someone would come to buy, I'm like, say, mm-hmm. maybe 10 years old, someone would come to buy ice, I'd say, I'll sell you this for only a dollar. And so then I'd do that until the store manager would come out and throw me, <laughs> then you'd throw run. me out. And then I'd come back the next day and he'd throw me out again. But we also wrote and produced comic books along with Mike Minot, the first ever creative director at Mass Solutions, who also worked with me at UPMC and other places. Mm-hmm. So I also had always had all kinds of businesses. I had a DJing business. And then as I was working in the corporate world, I had the opportunity to take some really great jobs always growth on the responsibility side, the size of the company, the opportunity, the title, all that stuff. And what I found was I kept either getting excited about another opportunity or made everybody so frustrated with me that it was time for me to leave. So Mm -hmm. one or the other (laughs) was happening. And, you know, when you're a change agent and you're moving at 100 miles an hour and you're at a corporate setting where the goal is to survive, Mm -hmm. You can look back now. I can look back now and say I can totally see why I bothered people because I am full of energy, full of ideas. The job doesn't end whenever the time says that I'm working until I fix that that day. Right. So I was um, a thread. I was irksome to my peers and even my bosses at these companies I was at. So I get it now. But at the time, it really hurt because you're thinking I'm really dedicated. I'm producing at a high level. And I can see these people are doing things to thwart me and to uh, to cut me down and just didn't get along. And let me say, I wasn't perfect at any of those jobs. In fact, I did and said dumb things. However, that's the common theme was that I was frustrating to people because of my level of activity, my level of production, and so forth. And so each of those stints, I would say, this is kind of crazy. Maybe I should just do this on my own. Right. So I then decided to start it while I was at UPMC. So here I am at the dream job of all dream jobs. And I've said this on the podcast many times. The culture there was, in my opinion, in my opinion, toxic. And uh, at the very least, I'm certain it wasn't a good culture for me. And so I'm at the dream job for me with great budget, great responsibilities, build a great team, a lot of freedom and flexibility. But the culture was such that it didn't work well for me. And that's when I said, well, even though I'm at this dream job, I'm going to start this business because I had two friends 
who said, would you like to be a third partner in this company? And they became our first client, and they're still our client 15 years later because I said no to that job because at the time I didn't see the vision of being in a small to medium-sized business, mm -hmm. which I now realize is so exhilarating and be so profitable and so lucrative. So I said no, and they said, would you at least consult for us because we don't have a chief marketing officer of your caliber. So I started working with them, and I was doing it part-time and kept seeing that I was getting more and more people. They would refer me to someone, and then that person they referred me to referred me to someone else. So I picked up mm -hmm. four to six clients, and I started saying, well, let me build my team. So I had Mike Minot, and I said, Mike, would you design some of this stuff? And I had my brother. I would say, would you write a little bit of this stuff? And I had a couple of other people that could do video, could do whatever. And I did that for a while, just banking the money because I knew when I left to go to this full time that it was going to be a little scary. So I decided to go at a very easy, low risk time. And what I did was I decided right after Carter was born okay. and Darnie was where you are right now. Yes. He's three months old. And now we have three young boys. And that's when I left a job where my, my administrative assistants and executive secretaries had assistants and secretaries and my vps had directors my directors had managers my managers had supervisors my supervisors had people oh, okay so i had all yes. the frills yes and so i decided this is the this is the time to make the move <laughs> makes a lot of sense right right absolutely and so darlene was not happy there wasn't a lot at stake at that point in your life no not no. a lot at stake <laughs> and uh you know three young kids one crying still feeding as you're going through yes. with rita and that's when i decided to make the move and, uh, you know, it comes with uh, good and bad. So, so the good is that you get flexibility and you get the opportunity to live your vision mm -hmm. and you get to do things your way. The bad is you get to do things your way. Right. And what I mean by that is you have to very quickly realize that even though I got to do this thing and I can do whatever I want because mm -hmm. it's mine – you have to adjust and change the way you do things because the market doesn't want it exactly the way you want it. And the second point is when people will say, oh, you have your own business. You get to do whatever you want, whenever you want. And it's kind of the opposite. Mike Gaddy said this to me the other night. He said, yeah, he had a friend talking about me and saying he's got the freedom to do this or that. And Mike said, actually, he doesn't really get the freedom to do what he wants. He has to do what he wants plus all this other stuff. Right. So you're doing a lot of stuff you would never do. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a high corporate role like I was, and I jokingly say my executive secretaries, executive assistants had assistants who had assistants. Right. You don't do the kind of stuff. Like I jokingly tell this story. I didn't ever install software. <laughs> and that is not a difficult task. But when I had to do that the first time, I was actually sweating because I'm going, wow, I'm spoiled. Because yes. when a new computer came in, I walked in and that computer had, when a new phone came in, I didn't even do anything with the new phone. I, everything was done for me because they understood he's one of our highest priced people. We're paying for his mind. We're not paying for him to do this other stuff. Right. Well, that's because UPMCs, Duquesne Universities, Monongahela Valley Hospitals, healthcare systems, they can do that. They mm -hmm. can afford that. But when you have a company like mine, even though it wasn't wise for me to be doing all this stuff because that's not the best use of my time. Who else was going to do it? Right. And how was I going to justify saying, well, let's just pay X tens of thousands of dollars to have someone to do that task, that task, and then have someone else for 10, 20, 30,000 to do that task? Well, you're a startup. 
So you right. go from not even knowing how to do something basic as installing software back when that was very common. Like now you don't install software, but you start to take a <laughs> disc and put yes. it in and sit there and watch it go. So that's just one example I always tell in the, in the phone example. And so you don't get to do just what you want to do. You get to do what you want to do and a ton of other stuff you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. The second thing is if you think you're going to do it your way, and not adapt to the market, you're gonna fail and be out of business. And that's why 90% or 95% of businesses fail within three years or some statistic. Right. That's why. Because like you're saying, and what we were talking about before is, you know, you're saying a lot of the illusion is, is whenever you own your own business, it's like a free for all. You can do whatever you want. Like I own it, I don't have to do anything. But what we were talking about before is that it's it's like a marriage where, you know, you have to compromise because you can't get your way all the time and you can't get out of doing things that you don't want to do. You just have to do it. Um, And then like you're saying that a lot of times people fail because they don't push past those little hurdles and so we were talking about the oh god moments where you know you get back to your desk at like a new job or like the first day of you know owning your own business and you know with three kids at home there's probably the minute of like oh god what have I done so like how do you did you kind of navigate past that moment here's the thing George Hartnett one of my I always say I had four tremendous mentors throughout my life and one of them is George Hartnett he jokingly said one day when I I had left one job and was going to another job and he said this is it man and was like we were having mm-hmm. a drink like the Saturday before. And he says, this is it. You were at the highest point at this company that you're ever going to be. And I went, what? And he said, they're all excited about you coming. Nobody knows yet to hate you. <laughs> Nobody sees you as a threat. You just got a big raise. This is the peak of your time. Well, the flip side of that is then you get in there and you get the oh God moment. Well, there's one job, and this is true. I won't tell you which job. It was at 1022 because I looked at the clock on the first day when I went, oh God. <laughs> What have I done? And I gutted that place out. I gutted that out on pride because I was not a fit. And I went, oh, God. And I remember I called Dorney and I said, I screwed up. Should I call them back? Because they tried to double money to try to keep Should I call them back? And she's like, shut up. So that was, I had the oh, God question right. asked in my head every single position. But when I went to do this, what happened here is the oh, God becomes different. I remember the first year of Mass Solutions where I truly enjoyed almost every task that I did. Mm-hmm. But the oh God moment was looking at the bank account and saying, we're losing money. Now, fortunately, I had built this, you know, k- kitty, if you will, or this b- this bank of the years of doing it part time. I just saved darn near every penny of mm-hmm. when I was doing it part time. So I was OK. But. You're three months into it going, whoa. You're six months into it going, we're still losing money. And you're nine months into it and you're going, we might be at break even. And that's, mm-hmm. when I say losing money at break even, it's a little bit different. I'm saying like, I couldn't pay myself anywhere near what I would have been making somewhere else. Right, okay. So that's how the first year was where you get used to whatever this is you're making. Mm-hmm. And then you go to do this thing and you're making, you can only pay yourself this and there's this gap. Well, that gap was covered by what I had saved from doing it part time. But it wasn't until year two where I started getting closer. Okay. And then, th- then all of a sudden it hits and you're like, whoa, I'm making more than I would be working somewhere else. And not every year, but there were, there were many years of the 15 where I'm like, yeah, I'm actually making more if I were a chief mar- than if I were a chief marketing officer. But then there are other years where you're like, oh, I'm getting older and I'm making less than I would be somewhere else. So that's the oh God mm-hmm. for me here at Mass Solutions more than anything else. Because I still, even though I get frustrated, we just had a meeting upstairs and I got a little frustrated, even though I get frustrated... 
I can take a deep breath and know that I don't have someone shooting at me from the grassy knoll, which when you're at corporate America and you move up, if someone out there thinks I'm full of it and they're in a corporate management position, they're full of it. You have people <laughs> gunning for you, and they, they do it with a smile. They act like they're your friend. They want to go to a happy hour, and they're gunning for you. Right. And when you're vulnerable, whenever they realize you're vulnerable to getting fired or getting displaced, they're a pack of wolves. So that's gone. Now, you have clients mistreat you now, and mm-hmm. clients do. They mistreat you unintentionally, so that's painful. But there's nothing to me personally, for my DNA, there's nothing as bad as in that big company and knowing that peers are after you, sometimes your boss is after you, sometimes your own direct reports are after you, sometimes people laterally that are below you are after you. That was the toughest thing for me. And that's right. why I don't have that with my own company. So just like anything, there's just ebbs and flows. You know Absolutely. what I mean? There's good days, there's bad days, and it's kind of how you weather those bad days and kind of really appreciate yes. the good days because this is what you wanted to do. I would never be in front of a microphone like I am mm-hmm. in front of this camera if I weren't my own company because the companies I was working for and would be still working for aren't the flexible ones that are doing the cool stuff now because you can't when you're in that super big company you just can't have a bullshit button right you just can't have a bullshit button in <laughs> my, my positions like before and you can't just get on camera and say you know whatever I say I just blurted for three minutes and if I did that in a meeting not on a microphone if I did that in a meeting Mm-hmm. At those big corporate companies, I would go back to my office, close the door, and try to replay what I said to see what I was going to get in trouble for. True, true story, because I tend to talk fast, and I tend to say what I think at the moment. Mm-hmm. I would leave meetings and go, ah, and I would go back and say, oh, that sentence, I'd write it down. I'd say, i got to make sure. And sure enough, two hours later, the boss would come down and go, what's this? Uh, you said blah, blah, blah. That quick, two hours later, yeah. the, the thing I wrote down, someone went to him and told him that I had said that. So you can't really be your true, genuine self. I mean, in some, you know, maybe some. everyone's different. So, like, yes. some people kind of like, you know, yeah. the, the rigidity of, you know, living in the 9 right. to 5. You clock out at 5 and you're gone. Some so people like, are naturally duplicitous, so they <laughs> like that kind of culture. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but there are some people that like being Machiavellian, and mm-hmm. they get off on it. And so, to them, they didn't go home with a pit. I used to drive to UPMC, and I'd get to the tunnels and have a pit in my stomach. Now, here I am at the greatest job I could possibly imagine if you described for me five years earlier and said what job would you be doing what's the peak of your career that's kind of it and I'm getting sick yeah. every single day when I get to a certain point in front of the tunnel because I knew what was live. happening I knew what I just told you was gonna happen I knew I was gonna go in there and this person's shooting for me that person's say, taking what I say and twisting it yeah and, and you think about it they could do that to anyone but especially me I'm quotable so I'm quotable so I make an offhand joke and that person says mm, let me manipulate this to present him in a bad way right it's exhausting. And I take things personal. So now I take that personal. I know that's me. I'm working at it. I mm-hmm. work at it till I'm dead. But I'm never going to fix that. Right. So I take things personal. So then I'm hurt. I'm like, why in heaven's name would that person who sat down with me to lunch yesterday go into the meeting with that person and tell them I said this when they knew that was not my intent? Right. And so that's what I don't have. I don't have to deal with that as much. Which is like a job in and of itself. Yes. It's the politics. Yes. So now, you know, if you could give any piece of advice or a couple pieces of advice for an entrepreneur who's thinking about kind of taking that leap and starting their own venture, what would you tell them that they might not think about and they might not even, you know, can wrap their mind around right now? 
There's two paths, and the one I'll just say I won't talk much on. If you're going to go buy a company that produces something in volume, that's completely different than what I'm about to say. So if you're going to buy something that produces that pen you have, and you have the money to put the money down, and you're going to become the owner of that and run that company, that does not pertain to what I'm saying. But I'm saying someone that has a professional services potential. They could be a writer. They could be a video person. They could be uh, a marketing firm. If you're someone like that, what you, what my first recommendation is you should do some of that work with people that you know and trust on the side and do it at a low cost and you'll very quickly see that they saw value in more than you charged and you'll know that you didn't charge enough so the next time you try to charge more and you get them to refer you to someone else and start doing that and learning what works and what doesn't work and learning if you really love it. Right. Because that's, that's from personal experience. When I started doing it on the side was when I went, wow. This is so cool because I'm actually able to do what I believe is my biggest value. I'm able to give you ideas and words and uh, and messaging. That's what I'm there for. I'm not there to go to six meetings, okay? <laughs> and so I'd say to try that. And then when you're doing that, start trying to – your first thing is to do is come up with the idea. And then is to turn it into some kind of product, and then to find a way to make that recurring. And that's the toughest thing in professional services to this day after mm -hmm. 15 years of doing it is ideation is not hard for me. I can come up with solutions to problems. I can then make it real by saying this is how we're going to do that. We're going to call this the brand analyzer, and it's going to do these seven things. But then making it recurring is really hard in professional services. So the second step after you've tried it is to see how you might build a naming of that and then make it into a system. But then... The next point, the last point is when you go into it, know that you're going to do all kinds of things that you didn't expect. Mm -hmm. You're going to do all kinds of things you didn't expect. My dad just uh, retired recently and he a couple years ago and he said to me, the thing you don't realize when you retire is something costs something recurring that you just didn't budget for no matter how much you try to do that. And he says, it's not a big deal. He said, but there's this over here, this over here, this over here. I would say that same analogy happens when you go to do a business. You have no idea how many hours are going to be sucked away doing things you just didn't expect. So you need to be prepared for that and try to work through it and try to find ways to systematize it. But be prepared to know that even though I'm able to do the things I'm best at, way more than if I were in corporate America, I still have to do a lot of things I'm not best at mm -hmm. or aren't the best use of my time. And you can get stubborn and complain about them, which I do sometimes, <laughs> or you can try to build a system to make them better. Right. And I think it's really self-awareness, you know, understanding yes. who you are as a person, if you have the, the kind of guts to do it. And then, you know, if you do and you really feel it, that you can kind of taking that leap of faith and, and hoping that things kind of settle and you can and make something of it. Well, yeah. And the other thing I didn't say is you have to find good people around you. And what I've been fortunate is I've found really good people who believe in me that are around me. What I would say if I were to be critical of myself is I haven't done it as much as I should have. I haven't let as much things go as quickly. I haven't tried to grow with people as much. And I just had a desire to try to do mainly one or two people doing ideas and then have some people on my team that I'd worked with for years 
and I now realize that was okay during the time period where I was doing a lot of coaching with my sons mm-hmm. and doing a lot of putting my family first. But if you really want to grow your company, you have to do more of it with others, more with people. So I've been blessed that I've found good people like you, uh, Marcel, of course, Benita, Mike, Mike Maz, mm-hmm. Ali, all these talented people that have been a part of this team. But when I look back and look in the mirror, I have to be honest and say I should have found more people years ago and and done even more replication and more recurring ways to do the same thing. Right. And I think that all of this is valuable for entrepreneurs and even people that just want to try something. Maybe they don't want to start their own business, but they want to try something that they've never tried before. These are all um, ideas that they can implement. And if people know entrepreneurs, tell them about this episode because they will get a lot of value out of it. And I think that, you know, on National Entrepreneurs Day and always that these are, you know, just things that people can really put into motion for themselves. Good. Well, we always like when you're the guest interviewer and we want to thank all of our loyal listeners for being uh, raving no BSers. This was recorded in our own studio in bold, beautiful downtown Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Remember, ask yourself, what's the big idea? build your story around the answer. It's all about bold solutions, no BS.